Welcome to Between Data and Risk podcast. Today we'll talk about global supply chain management methodologies utilizing data and digital twins to ensure frictionless flow of goods and resources with our guest, Benjamin Abidbol, Global Supply Chain Executive. Stay tuned. If you're a business owner or senior manager, you probably had more than enough about all the wonderful opportunities awaiting you in the era of digitalization. Whether it is big data, cloud, data science, or whatever buzzword is currently trendy. If you would like to hear someone dissecting these claims and showing you what it actually takes to improve business processes, you're in the right place. This is Between Data and Risk, where we discuss real life examples of what works and what doesn't in the world of business operations. Hi. I'm your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Marian Siwiak, and with me is my co-host, Artur Guja, Cognition Shared Solutions Chief Risk and Strategy Officer. Hello. Welcome to this episode of Between Data and Risk. Today, we'll take a fresh look at supply chain management and how digital twins may help mitigate risks and stress test the processes to increase resilience. We have with us Benjamin Abitbol, Global Supply Chain Executive, who agreed to share some of his experiences with us. Uh, hello, Benjamin. Hi there. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. Yes, thank you for, for, for joining us. We, we're really excited because we have times of turbulence and uh, there is a lot of problems from, you know, stuck up uh, Suez Canal to some perturbations in, in, uh, in ports to lack general of lack of resources. Lack of drivers through COVID, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so... Our, the question that nags us the most, to be honest, is uh, how can companies really mitigate these risks? Because it, it's something different to say, okay, there is a chance that we will not get the um, the load of whatever we need to produce to keep producing, and actually doing something about it. Uh, with your you know extensive knowledge and experience, like. What's your advice to people who are thinking, okay, uh, I know something can go wrong, but what do, what can I do? Yes, yes. And actually, like you said, you know, I, I know we, we're hearing a lot about supply chain these days with, with what happened with COVID, but you know, for the, the supply chain professionals, this is a way of life. I mean, it was the way we lived before COVID and the way we're going to live after COVID. So it, it's, it's really nothing new. And, and we see all these different moving parts in supply chain from vendors to factories to carriers to distribution centers even to customers that change their mind all the time. Um, you know, all these moving parts, you have to uh, plan, but also be ready for things that will not materialize. And there's always something that's not gonna materialize. So I would say there's like three elements you need to, to capture in order to, to address a lot of these risks. Is one is uh, sensing, so data sensing. So making sure that you're always on the lookout for changes. Like for instance, on the planning side, you know, we we uh, we had a, a planning software that give us you know a projection based on point of sales uh, with uh, with uh, key accounts like Walmart, Amazon, Target, um, with uh, with a lot of you know investment in getting a pretty good accurate demand signal. But there's always going to be something happening in terms of, like the Walmart results are not where they are supposed to be, and they're going to shut down their open to buy, for instance, right? So um, so you had all the plans to produce everything and box it and sea ship it, and then they just shut down their open to buy. So being able to to hear these these changes uh, with regular conversations with your customers, with your partners, and and the, the planner telling you, oh, by the way, you know, uh, there was a poor review last uh, yesterday, um, and uh, they're shutting down the open to buy. So I'm sorry, but you know, I'm going to have to cancel POs and not place orders. 
So we were able to hear that early enough so that we could actually take action and say, well, we're not going to box these watches for Walmart and we're going to box them for somebody else. Um, and if we had stuck to the plan, it would have been, you know, a lot of inventory stuck for, for a while for, for, for no reason. So I think it's sensing information. Another, another also example of, of sensing is uh, um, on the jewelry business, we had a lot of vendors on the East Coast uh, shipping through uh, FedEx to go to our distribution center on the West Coast. Um, and there was one situation, I think it was a couple of years ago, where there was an um, ice storm in Memphis and we were using FedEx and the goods we got stuck for about a week. Um, so what we, we've learned from this actually, well, now we'll pay, be paying attention to the weather. Um, and if we see that there's going to be a store, uh, storm happening in that region close to Memphis, let's use another carrier. Let's use UPS, for instance. And that really helped us a couple of times. So sensing information ahead of time is really helpful. Um, the, the, uh, the other aspect is, is when you look at your supply chain, look at where you have like a single point of failure and build redundancy in these areas. Um, so we had, obviously when, when, when COVID hit, everything was, became like a, 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 a constraint. Um, but I think you need to make sure you, you also, uh, there's always a backup plan. If it's freight, it's, it's different carriers, it's different routes. Um, if it's, um, if it's production, it's, if it's vendors, it's making sure there's always like the same part can be sourced from a different vendor, uh, which is something that saved us during COVID uh, at Timex, where we had basically all the cases for the watches double sourced in China and in India. And that was by design uh, for competition purposes, because you know, obviously labor costs were cheaper in India, uh, but also having as a backup. And when COVID hit uh, and China started to, uh, to, uh, to shut down, it was down around February, March, we were able also to sense that information early on. The vendors were telling us, by the way, this is what's going on. You know, nobody knew what was going on, but at least we could hear that there was something that, so we started getting ready to uh, engage our vendors in India to, to start the second sourcing. Um, and then when actually they shut down for actually two months after Chinese year, which you can imagine they were shut down already for Chinese year and then extended Chinese year for another couple of months, we were able to get the products from, from India. And then India shut down. So we were able to back to, to, to China. So. We were one of the only vendors in the industry that kept the production flow going. So that was a good example of having that redundancy in place. Um, and then the, uh, I would say the, the third aspect is to have really good relationships with the people you work with, uh, with customers, with the vendors, with the carriers, because if everything else fails, these guys will save you. Um, so for instance, uh, when we had a major case constraint with Timex, it was in 2012, we had an issue with, uh, with some vendors and uh, we could not supply products to our key accounts, Walmart, Amazon, Target. Um, and if you don't have a good relationship, these guys will drop you and they will go to the next brand. Um, and we had some really good relationships with these accounts. And they allowed us for a period of time, obviously, you need to fix your issues, to shape demand. So they were telling us, what do you have available? And we'll actually shape demand for you for a period of time so we can keep your productions running, but also keep the supply going. Um, so that was an example of actually when we couldn't, find a solution, we were able to work with our customers to soften the, the, the impact to their, their customers, but also to our, to our factories. Um, and then same thing with, uh, with carriers. When, when COVID hit, uh, we were using a lot of uh, like, um, commercial uh, flights from our factory was in the Philippines, and then we had goods going to, to Hong Kong uh, using Cathay Pacific. Obviously, all the, these flights got canceled because they were not transporting people. Mm -hmm. Uh, but we had a really good relationship with uh, an asset carrier, so UPS, that had their own airplanes, and they were able actually to keep the, the, the shipments going for, I would say, goods, not, not people. So that kept us also going uh, on shipping products. So 
if we didn't have this relationship where they know that we're in the long run and we're going to help them when they need us, uh, they will step in and help you. So I think between data sensing, building this redundancy and having strong relationships, that's how you can really navigate all these things that we've thrown at you at any given time. But first of all, I'm pretty surprised. One of the three, yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. And the greatest. <laughs> so, um, in terms of digital twinning, so we, we uh, whatever I experienced was on the end-to-end uh, -end, uh, visualization of your of your supply chain. So, using tools like Logili, for instance, where you have supply planning, and you're able to see uh, uh, all the images you have in diff different locations, what's in transit, um, and then and then you can really uh, also click down from the product level to the parts level in the same system. That's one thing we put in place at Timex, where the folks in the US uh, at their fingertip could see the whole supply chain. And also, if we got this huge, I would say, unforcing order for a big account that was gonna draw a lot of materials, we were able to double click on the case or the dial, the hand that was actually impacted by this order, and then take proactive actions with the vendor. So by the way, we had this unforeseen demand on, the, on this style, which means that this case uh, will need to have uh, increased production. So in the old world, it would take us probably five weeks you know, from the time the order gets in to the, uh, the uh, order ripple through the vendor, right? Because you, know, you have to place the order on the factory, the factory then runs, then they go through their, their, their weekly cycle and then they place the order on the vendor. So this takes a while. Having that uh, digital visualization of your supply chain and doing simulations, um, helped us say, call the next day the vendor, the case vendor, plastic cases for, for Ironman watch and say, hey, uh, we just got this huge order for Walmart, it's gonna hit you two to three weeks from now, get ready, and then, and then start mm -hmm. producing. So these are the, the, the type of, of, um, of solutions we were using just to, to be proactive in, in the supply chain, or, and it worked the other way around. If, oh yeah, we get this, this uh, supply constraint, this component, it will impact this specific watch, which will impact these accounts and these orders, uh, let's practice with the customers, tell them, hey, by the way, it's going to be a delay, or can we just substitute this style with another one until we are able to get back? And that just provides uh, an amazing customer experience because they know that you're on top of, of things and you're able to, to practically um, find solutions for them so they, they don't get disrupted. Another... I have a, yeah. if, if you don't mind me jumping in for a second, because I would like to link to what you said uh, in the beginning uh, about these three, three, three elements. 
And uh, now it has a cost associated. Uh, being being able to shift from from Katai to to to, um, to UPS, I, I assume uh, it wasn't cheaper because probably you would use it in the first place. Uh, how do you approach uh, securing or, or calculating what is the the padding that you need to have on your supply chain? And does super, this digital twinning help with that as well? And if so, how? Because we uh, we spoke with a couple of companies about digital twins, mm-hmm. and they said, "But we need to have an ROI on it." It's like you know we have our our supply chain uh, optimized to ninety nine point six percent of mm-hmm. you know production running, and now you you propose us this digital twin, uh, and we we don't know you know but it doesn't improve our our KPIs. Uh, so our suggestion was that it can help you reduce this this, this padding. You really know absolutely uh, if the if the things go south, how how much it will cost to 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 un, uh, uh, un, get unstuck uh, yeah. to, to to use parliamentary language. So, so, uh, yeah, I, mean, I think to your point, uh, digital twinning uh, gives you a, an advance. Uh, learning of actually advanced knowledge of what's going to happen in the future, and it will avoid you to actually have these very expensive backup plans. So the, the example I gave with, with UPS is that when, when the uh, COVID hit, you know there was there was no way to 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 predict that and then and be able to react. So that was the the last resort. Um, but with digital training and when you see these things happening ahead of time, you can start preparing for other solutions which are going to be uh, not as expensive. For instance, we could have said, well, all right, well, let's let's do some some sea shipments earlier instead of taking the, the airplane let's take some sea shipments earlier and then avoid having to 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 spend more on, on freight for instance um but that's where i think the digital training helps you uh also evaluate different options and say well if i do this how much is it going to cost me versus if i do something else and then you can make the best mm-hmm. decision in terms of okay well based on what i know um at least i know that this option is going to cost me more than this one and then you can make a judgment call because it's all about, you know, on the day-to-day basis, judgment, judgment call that you make. And digital training gives you a better assessment uh, so you can make the best choice. Another example in terms of digital training uh, was to map the whole flow in our factory um, at, uh, at, at Blue Nile in the jewelry business, where we could actually uh, now see where each order was in the queue um, and, and mm-hmm. be able to... Um, to uh, as we got closer to the cutoff time and the due date to reprioritize the order on the show floor, which wasn't the case before because it went to this black hole and then you had to send somebody physically on the floor, look for this order and then try to push it through. With digital twinning, you're able to say, okay, well now let's make sure this order goes first and not and push this one back. Um, and then you're, you're basically mapping your physical flows with your, your, your logical flows. So when you move mm-hmm. something on the physical side, so if you're using RFID, for instance, it will notify mm-hmm. the system. Well, by the way, this order has moved to this next stage, uh, and we're getting closer to to the, the completion. Um, and then, if you make a decision on the digital side, say, "Well, I want to hold back this order. I want to put this one instead." It will physically uh, tell the people on the floor, "Okay, well, change of of, of prioritization. Don't do this one. Do this one instead." So it's really uh, helping you to be very much more dynamic and aware of what's going on. Uh, my question. My, my...
I am. Yes, yeah. Yes, so that, that's a very good point. So every time you, you want to do these investments, you know, it's like one to $2 million implementation between the software and then the, the consulting implementation and, and the team's time as well. Um, so you need to really show there's an RI. So obviously we had to, to put together return on investment uh, with tangible. So, so uh, the bulk of the, um, the return on investment was in terms of also helping us reduce the inventory because when you don't know, you just put inventory. Right. If you don't have a solution, mm -hmm. just put inventory there, and then you know, while we use inventory, we'll the capital solution, right? So now you're saying, well, not a, I'll be able to react much faster. I don't have to carry so much inventory. So I'm going to go from four weeks down to one week of inventory. That's hard dollars. And then the financial guys will say, all right, well, not only it's on the balance sheet, but also it's obsolescence, it's cost of of, of warehousing, financial cost, and uh, that gets a lot of traction. And then once you've shown this financial piece of it, you can say, well, by the way, there's also incremental sales because we're going to capture more sales. And that's, you know, it, it's really hard to, to, to assess. You can say, I'm going to gain maybe a couple of points of fill rates. A couple of points of fill rates means X amount of revenue, which turns in you know, X mm -hmm. amount of gross margin. Um, and then there's customer satisfaction as well. But I think to your point, uh, typically uh, inventory reduction is one big element when you do that because you're able to replace um, inventory with information. And that's really the key thing is actually how do you uh, remove the risk through better information and, mm -hmm. and, and by doing so, uh, remove the need for inventory, which is basically just a, a risk buffer. Uh, another question that I have about, about digital twins is uh, cooperation of production. We, we've seen different models of, uh, of implementation where production planning was done actually on the supply side. Also, uh, how, how did it work in uh, in your case, and what is a good split of responsibilities and interconnectedness of of the information? Because uh, the production should know what they should produ uh, produce if they have some plan. So when the supply upstream or downstream uh, influences it, yeah, but they should probably know what they should make. So how? How to efficiently make it? Uh, how to make it work efficiently? Yes. Yeah, so, so the planning team is is actually in, in my case. Um, so I was responsible for both demand, supply, and production. So they were part of the same team. So, so, so we had we had uh, you know an ongoing conversation with the teams. We had daily conversations, weekly calls, and and so on. So, so the information was shared um, on as as it was happening. It was shared with the production team. So one thing we did with the production team, we, we tried to smooth their schedule, so like the high runners, and just fill the capacity with these, and then reserve some some uh, some capacity for all the unplanned events that will happen. We know it's going to happen, but we don't know what it is exactly. It's going to happen, so we always had this extra capacity that we could always use up for unplanned uh, production, either increase in demand or shift to another style. Um, so that communication was really close. So the uh, the supply planners, so we had people, uh, so the factory was based in the Philippines, the supply planning team was based in the US. So there was also mm -hmm. um, um, folks in the supply team that were based in the Philippines and were part of the daily uh, production uh, call, uh, meetings that they had on the floor. And and they would be able, in that, I would say at nine o'clock in the morning when they had this, this production meeting, say, well, by the way, this is something that we just got from the US uh, or it's the new information we got from Hong Kong uh, and we need to 
change the production or what can we do to change your production plan so we can address the situation? Shift from this style to this style so we can address it. And they were in lockstep. Uh, and there was communication you know, daily with from the US and daily from, from Hong Kong. And actually we used the, the, the time difference to our advantage because first thing in the morning, they had all the input from, from the US customers. So they knew exactly what was going mm-hmm. on with Walmart, Target and these guys. And then and the first thing in the morning when we got back, we had all the input of, yeah, we can do it or we cannot do it. I could go back to Walmart and say, by the way, we talked to our factory and this is what we can do. Um, so yes, and that's, that's daily. I, uh, I guess we're, gonna, we're going back to, to this interpersonal relations where they are not only between, between the companies. Uh, I happen to, 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 to be on the receiving end of the situations where uh, the, the clients were decided that it's in their best interest to keep the suppliers in the dark. We are talking about supplying software mainly, mm-hmm. and you know that uh, I don't know. Somehow it makes them look more professional if they they pretend everything's all right, even though we can see from our side. Yeah, you know, we try to supply, but there is no ability to receive, and we are kept in the dark. Uh, I think I just to 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 maybe it's some of my frustration. But I would like to hear what do you think about this uh, this kind of a situation yeah. where, where where the the client thinks that you know they need to have you know the best mask, smiling mask on uh, all the time and uh, just pretend everything is okay when it clearly isn't. Yes, yes, I, I think uh, it's very old school that you know keeping the vendors in the dark and and, and using your bargaining power to basically have them bend bend over backwards. Um, but I think it's it's something you can change over time as you build that relationship with the customer. So I had I had the same issue with uh, with Amazon, where actually Amazon uh, was changing the orders without telling us, and and there was this huge swings, and I was able to sit down with them and do the analysis and tell them, okay, well this is this has been your your sales strength that so we could see their POS, and it's been very <laughs> smooth, and it's and uh, for these specific products it was very smooth, and this is how you've been placing orders. Which creates, you know, obviously issues for us, but also for you because you're you're having more inventory than you need because you're buying more stuff than you need, and your system is mm-hmm. way too uh, too responsive. And I was able to to show them with data uh, that the um, the system that they thought was the best in class in the industry was way too responsive for our type of product. Uh, it, it, I'm sure it was perfect for other products, but for our product, it wasn't it wasn't mm-hmm. it wasn't the best the best response system. So then. They're starting paying attention when they saw the data. So, oh, you're right. You know, why did we buy ten thousand of this specific watch when we only sold a hundred for the last, you know, six months? It doesn't make sense. Uh, it makes sense in their system because there was probably a logic there. Um, so, mm-hmm. when they saw that, and when they saw the data, then they they gave us the responsibility to, and they started trusting us to share the information. I had the same issue where I was at HP and um, I was we had a quality issue, and and I went to to the customer it was Quest at the time. Um, to help fix the issue. It was a quality issue they were, they were dealing with. And when I was there, I was there for two weeks uh, on the customer site. I, just, I could hear conversations from the customers and, and they were saying, oh yeah, this, we have this big rollout for computers we're going to do you know, next month. I say, hey guys, why don't you tell us that? Because if you tell us you have this big, big rollout, I can get ready and we'll ship it on time. Oh, and sometimes they just didn't think about it. So, oh, I didn't know that, you know, we, we could share this information with you guys and, and or it wasn't part of their process. So after this conversation, 
when they had these big rollouts and big projects, they would say, oh, by the way, call the vendors, you know, three weeks before and let them know that this is, this is potentially happening. And I told them, it's not, it's not a commitment. Just give us information so we can get uh, ahead of the game. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's also on you as the vendor to reach out and then explain in very simple terms or terms that they understand how it's going to help them if they don't leave you in the dark. It, it, we, we had recently uh, some, some uh, um, contact with a, with a company where they basically, they had as part of their process, uh, regular kind of discussions with their uh, clients yeah. about potential orders. So they had a, some visibility with a certain kind of um, probability yeah. bounds. Yeah of what was coming for the next uh, three, six, uh, even, even up to 12 months. Yes. Uh, it, was, it was a business with, with pretty big lead times, mm -hmm. uh, par you know, particularly of the sector. But uh, I, I think you know, this, is, it, this, is, this is great that it's, it's actually practiced uh, you know, a, a bit broader. Uh, how, can you, how can you actually convince uh, your your uh, your clients that they, they should charge us? Because clients will, yeah, I, I can see several risks. I you know I'm a risk manager, so yeah. I, I I think about the, the, the things in terms of risk. And one one thing clients will will not want to uh, share this because it may uh, you know disclose their plans. Second one is clients may not want to share this is because they will feel that they have some obligations to then go through with these orders, even if you know it's it's stated black and white that it's it's just a provisional yeah. you know projection or whatever and the third one i can think of is that uh, if you know it it locks them in um kind of you know if 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 they if they source from several different different ones yeah. if they mm -hmm. disclose they they don't want to it's it's all pretty much uh, similar themes but clients may may uh, feel reluctant to share this how do you make them comfortable sharing this information with you because again it's yeah. about relationship right yeah so, so i think that there's two elements um one is to find the right person on the customer side that will understand what you're talking about so let me give you an example uh when, when i first joined at timex the, the the sales team was really the only per the only team talking to to the um, to the customers and and the planners were not allowed to to to, to the, talk to the customer, and once we were able to change that paradigm and say, well, planners talking to planners have the same language. So when you have planners at Timex and planners at Walmart or Target, they will bond with the same at the same level, and and there's always a, a level of distrust, you know, between the planners from a customer and the sales team from from a, from a vendor because to your point, the sales guys will use that information, you know, to their advantage. When it's planners, we're not you know, like, for instance, uh, an account would never before before we put that in place would never share the open to buy. I mean, that's like the secret. You know, you don't, you don't want to share your, how much you're going to spend for the quarter and so on, because also it can have implications from a public standpoint. Um, but when it's used as a way to do a better job with people that are in the same field as you to understand how it's going to impact you, then the information flows. So we were we were getting access to open to buy after that all the time from the planners, not from the buyers, but from the planners. So you need to find mm -hmm. within your customer, who's the right person is gonna be your advocate. And then we'll be able to uh, convince the other team members at the customer to say, this is the right thing to do. You know, what, what, uh, what Arthur is saying is really helpful and is gonna help us. Uh, if you can't convince the decision maker, have somebody there 
that will help you uh, convince the decision maker. And I, and uh, we were able to do this uh, with the planning teams in the different accounts where they were saying, hey, well, this is going to make our job much easier if we're able to do this share information because I'll have better supply because I don't have, I'm not stuck, like you said, with orders that I can cancel because now Benjamin's allowing me to cancel my orders because I have this flexibility. So that's one thing is finding the right person. Um, and then, and then the, 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 the other aspect is, is really, uh, uh, like I said earlier, it's, it's really making sure that you're able to convey how it's going to be to their best interest to do that. And also tell them there's no commitment. You know, and let's be very clear. If you're telling me that you need X amount of products, I'm not going to hold you to it. Uh, but it's it's really something that's going to uh, help us at least gauge where we are. And I'll tell you all along, by the way, I'm not going to be able to support it. Or yes, we should be able to support it. And, and then it puts you in a better position than your competition, for instance, if you're able to have this conversation. But you have to be very clear. This is not commitment. This is just uh, a forecast. And I had the same conversation with the vendors. And they loved it. Because I told them, yeah, I think this is going to happen. I'm not committed to it, um, and uh, and it's and it's really, you know, it removes all the, the the walls when you have when you start removing that pressure of of having to be to commit to it. Uh, we had one of our first. Uh, I will because what I like is this discussion about let's say open communication, actually across the supply chain. Uh, one of our first episodes, it was, and we mentioned it a couple of episodes again, uh, a couple of, uh, couple of epi- episodes ago again. Uh, we spoke with the company which actually failed. They tried to map out the whole supply chain for textile uh, industry. Uh, they were mm, uh, sponsored by HSBC, which is kind of good sponsor to have and gives you a lot of credibility. And yet they they failed to get enough traction interest in transparency of the of the supply chain. How do you think it, it works with the manufacturing like 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 in in the case of companies you worked for? Uh, would it be possible for this digital twin to to spread out into I don't know triplets, digital triplets or quadruplets? Mm-hmm. Uh, so would it make sense to create a platform where or, you know connect the digital twins so people can make these uh, scenarios uh, in as, as we said it, it's not about setting things in stone but like you know we think because our client said that there is a chance that we will need produce more it would yeah. mean that we will need it you know more from you uh to make it a bit faster and, and maybe more, more more transparent like this is a projection this is not an order yet like uh would technology help break some of this i don't know expectation yeah. or the fear of mismanaging expectations Absolutely. The, the, the technology just gives you visibility and it gives you assurance. When, once you see what's going on, you feel better, right? And, 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 uh, but that, that's just one element. Uh, the most important thing is actually the, is the, the, the other party that you're working with uh, understand what you're trying to do and, and it's, it's going to help them also for them to do a better job. So as an example, in our supply planning tool, we also have the ability to schedule production for some of the vendors. So we knew, so we were, we were 
I would say the vast majority of, of the volumes for some vendors. So we were able to kind mm -hmm. of put in our system, this is the max capacity that they have. This is the demand that we have. And, uh, and then this helped us raise where there was an issue. It, it wasn't really a scheduling system for them because they had their own scheduling process, but it, it helped mm -hmm. them say, oh, by the way, we're going to blow your capacity here because you know we see how our product impacts the way you manufacture products. So because we know that, let's let's figure out how we can maybe work on Saturdays for a couple of weeks so we can start you know addressing this ahead of time uh, so you don't end up having this huge uh, increase. Um, I think, and there's another example. So that was really at the beginning of my career. I was back in the 90s when we we, uh, we were trying to put in place a vendor management inventory with HP. So we're asking, mm -hmm. HP was asking vendors to carry inventory in their factory uh, at their cost. Um, and I had to sell that, right? So at first, when you see the wall, you know, you're, you're pushing inventory in my books. Uh, it's, not it's, not, um, it's not healthy. It's, and actually, I was able to show them, well, for you, you're going to get much better visibility of what we consume on a daily basis versus all these very highly erratic orders that you're getting right now because of the inventory swings. Mm -hmm. Now you have complete transparency of what the production is, how much inventory we have in a factory. And basically, long term, inventory is going to go away. It's going to disappear because before we had buffers at HP, you had buffers on your side, and these buffers were just increasing the demand signals. And then you were just always just running around trying to catch up. Now that you're going to be uh, it's basically you're putting our, your, your inventory that you owned before, instead of having more inventory, you just shift it. You shift it to our factory, mm -hmm. and then you're just getting on, on, the, on just in time. And, and one way to get this uh, buy-in was to use a tool. Uh, it was a website at the time that showed them real-time, this is how much we had in the site, how much of your specific memory or hard disk drive or motherboard. Um, and this is how much we've consumed today. This is how much we've consumed the last, say, 13 weeks. And what we think we do the next 13 weeks. And having that visibility empower them. So, oh yeah, now I know what the hell's going on and I'm not putting inventory just there and then hoping for the best. Um, and then they were able to, every time we were pulling faster than we were at plan, they were starting to react right away. Um, and, and they loved mm -hmm. it. Actually, at first it was, oh yeah, it's gonna be a huge uh, inventory burden and cash burden. Eventually, for them, it was a success factor because actually they were able to run their factories much more efficiently. Um, but the, without the tool, it would have been impossible. Because uh, and, and that's where I think digital twins help you just remove all the uh, anxiety around uncertainty. But it, it does. It's interesting that uh, what what you said about the impact of uh, that uh, connection of uh, um, uh, the supply chains and supply chain management systems, digital twins. The, the direct impact of that on the manufacturing and the planning, because yeah. I think the difference is uh, when we spoke to about Serai, the the the, the startup that uh, unfortunately failed, they, they were trying to do it in the textile industry, mm -hmm. and uh, you know I wasn't personally involved in that, but from the the kind of the um, uh, plentiful descriptions of of it that I I read in the media uh, as it was uh, kind of launching, ramping up, and uh, after it failed. I got the distinct impression that the angle they took was they wanted to know the the, the, the the map the whole supply chain because of ethical concerns, sustainability concerns. I think they they didn't really I don't know if they, they completely missed it, but they certainly didn't put emphasis mm -hmm. on streamlining yeah. and and visibility and, and resilience that such a, a look through was enabling. Yeah. So 
I think I think they they they, they kind of uh, missed the, the 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 point a bit here. Uh, so uh, is there uh, you know every every time we've we've seen this this kind of look through and this kind of relationships uh, um, and systems connectivity, it was uh, done uh, bespoke. Right, we've worked on on a couple of systems that enabled this for 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 a, a, a company and linked to through pretty kind of standard media like email, like uh, you know uh, uh, connecting to through uh, to some uh, ERPs. Are there any standards or or widespread tools, widespread technologies that people can use almost off the shelf or or something that is emerging? Which will enable uh, almost commoditization of this kind of technology. Well, m- most of the, the the solutions now have a SaaS solution, and 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 you can also it, it's it's cloud based. So so even vendors that don't have a lot of uh, you know IT uh, resources. I mean, most of the vendors we had in China didn't have an IT department, right? They, they barely had Excel. Um, but now everybody has access to 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 internet to the website. So so all of these tools now have solutions which you know, don't require to have servers on site for these vendors. And they can just log in, they have their own login, and then they'll be able to see all the beautiful stuff that you see at your own factory. Um, so I think, and this has been going on for a long time, it's, this is not nothing new, um, where you're actually, and I would say all the solutions you can think of all have that ability now, just to log in from any, any location, it could be a remote location, um, and have access to all that information. And also for you to either upload, you know, with either a link with your system or an Excel upload, or even type in the information. And some some of the vendors we had were typing in the information on the website, provide the, what we want to into projection. But again, do not rely on a system to tell you what to do. That's just there's no system that will um, make sure that that order is the perfect order for you to focus on, and, and nothing is going to change. Right. So. It's an illusion to think that a system, even with AI, that the system is actually going to do all these things. Uh, the system is only for me. Oh, especially least, with AI. Uh, exactly. <laughs> it's just. It, we're, 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 no, it, we're very skeptical about AI. So, so <laughs> yeah, that's 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 why I kind of interjected because it's. Uh, yeah, because it yeah. bring it can bring more noise than than what you have right now. But I think where people make the and I've seen that many times. They have the false assumption that the system is going to fix everything. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. It's just an enabler. And the problem is, if you're not addressing the process and the relationships, the system is going to fail. I've seen that. I've seen many times where people implement the software, they think everything is going to be smoothly and then we don't have to talk anymore. No, actually, because you have a system, you have to talk more now. Because now you have more information to discuss and, and more decisions to make. Um, and that's, I think, that's the fallacy that a lot of people think when they go into these implementations, is they think that system is going to take care of all these these uh, these issues. No, it, it creates the same language. It creates a platform. Uh, it gives you visibility. Like if you're on a highway, you know, you're not looking at the car ahead of you. You're looking at three or four cars ahead of you to see what's going to happen. And that system does that. Uh, and there's a crash ahead of time where you know you can stop early and then take a different route. That's what the system will do. The system is not going to be like ways and tell you, okay, well, now take this route. Uh, you, you, because there's so many considerations that, um, that you have in the in that you know about and that your vendors can can also influence that the system is not going to give you the right answer it will just give you all these these early warning signals and give you suggestions maybe um but at the end of the day you'll make the final call um 
but yeah. it, it will give you the data, the data, but not the insight and the knowledge. About exactly. What and, to do about it. This is and what was funny about this website I just talked about at the time it was it was three of us who put it together at HP, and it cost us maybe five thousand dollars to do it, um, and it worked, and it was beautiful. The vendors loved it. Mm -hmm. It was easy to access. And then I heard down the road that. Uh, they they made this so software much more robust, and they spent millions of dollars to make it more sexy. But I'm sure they didn't get any more you know improvements from supply standpoint because you had a more sexy system. It's actually the quality of, of of the interaction you have between the players that that makes a difference, not not the quality of the system. And and usually you know the the simpler the system, the the, yes. the more uh, useful it is. I, I remember that the fir the first digital twin that uh, that we've uh, built uh, in as our consulting practice, we literally cobbled it together in uh, in in Python in a weekend, and uh, it fulfilled. I would have to say about ninety six percent of the of of the requirements. Exactly. Uh, the rest was just polishing it up, and you know, cer certainly, you know, it was a tiny bit cheaper than ten million. I, I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> just a tiny bit. Uh, I think I, I think we've we've arrived at a, a, a at a very good place to 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 kind of wrap it up because we we could go on about uh, about uh, you know different technologies but we don't want to go, go get too technical and I think the very important uh, kind of take out from takeaway from this from 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 this episode is that you know whatever technology you employ whatever kind of fancy system you have mm -hmm. AIs MLs everything. It's the discussion with the person, having the relationship, having that 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 kind of process, uh, both internally to actually you know work with the data, turn as Marian always says, turn the data into knowledge and insights, and uh, you know, and also externally, you know, that that exchange of information, and uh, you know, not not always it has to be to 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 screw the other person, it may be to mutual benefit, right? Uh, Thank you very much for uh, Benjamin for, for for these insights because it was uh, it was literally you know very very useful to to hear someone with uh, experience in these matters to to hear how it actually should be done. Uh, are there any kind of materials that you would recommend uh, to people who would want to learn more about this or about you? Uh, well, you can definitely reach out to me if you need more information on LinkedIn. I'm on LinkedIn. You can find me on LinkedIn. Um, and there's, there's, there's plenty of, of, uh, of literature on, on the, on these subjects. Um, I'll, I'll, um, nothing comes to mind right now, but I can, I can probably add some more links on, on, on my LinkedIn profile so that people can, can find these. Um, and very happy to have uh, a conversation. Certainly. And, uh, you know, thank you again for, for, for taking the time. Uh, Marian, you want to add something? Yes, I wanted. Like in the end of the path, when you have data, when you have uh, information, knowledge, in the end is the is the wisdom. So uh, I would say that uh, we we touched from my limited perspective. We touched on this, uh, until the, the the latter. It's not just the knowledge. No, no. It, I really liked the way how you how you connected the need of having the data so you can feed the conversation. Uh, but also the elements of something that I would like to to to, to point like you have this process and like the, these guys with oh we didn't have any process to tell the vendors that actually so it's also also important to 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 um, make notes that other people can update their processes it's it's something that we we are Absolutely. pretty pretty 
heavily leaning on is to to make sure that things are are well processed. No, but, yeah. but that's all. But I'm 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 really uh, grateful for for this conversation. Let me also in my head uh, put something some some bricks together. No, thank you. And it was a pleasure having this conversation with you guys as well. And it's it's always delightful to talk to you guys. Thank you so much. <laughs> thank you. And uh, as always, we say, let's hope it was of use to someone. Thank you for listening. Also, don't miss the next one, where we'll be talking to Panduka Nagahawate, Vice President of Data Science at Majestic Steel USA, about building data science capabilities. Subscribe on your favorite podcast platform or visit pdr.show to find out more about future episodes and guests. You can also check out Cognition.llc for more information on Cognition Trade Solutions, our services and other events hosted by us. For now, it's thank you from myself, Artur Guja, and my co-host, your friendly neighborhood data guy, Dr. Mario Stivas. Thank you and goodbye.